Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. As we were worshiping, and then uh, Nancy gave that word of prophetic word, encouraging word, and as we were worshiping, um, the atmosphere of worship, the uh, Lord began to speak to me, and I was thinking about uh, the days that we're living in. You know, this past couple of years has been uh, uh, pretty life-altering um, as a nation, as a, as a world. Other nations are experiencing the same things, the, the pandemic, the lockdown, the, the uh, changes in, in uh, economies. Um, just all aspects of life are in a, a huge change. And I was feeling like, you know, that scripture came to me that in the last days, terrible times will come. Another translation of that is it will be demon-possessed days. Well, what does that mean? People are going to walk around frothing at the mouth. Uh, I've had a few encounters like that in my Christian experience and seen people get delivered from that. Um, but I don't think it necessarily means that. I just think it means that it will be controlled. The world in these last days will be controlled and directed demonically. And yet I see God's people, and we're sitting in this room, and I'm like, why don't I feel like I'm experiencing, I mean, what's going on with all of this? There's anger, there's, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's um, just people are distraught about life and its uncertainty. Why don't I feel that? And the Lord immediately spoke to me. He says, because my people are under the shadow of my wing. And I believe that's a place we're going to dwell during these times that continue to probably get more and more difficult. There will be greater and greater difficulties facing the earth and facing life. But God's people will be sheltered under his wing. And all that goes with that, under that wing is provision, under that wing is peace, under that wing is actually tremendous power that you can have to carry out the things that God speaks to you to carry out in this life. And God's given every one of you something to carry out in your ministry, in him. You see, it's not just the staff pastor that carries out the ministry. It's every person has been called to be a minister of righteousness and of, of the giftings that God's placed in your life. God's placed gifts in your life. You may say, well, I'm not sure what those are. I've been at this thing for 40-some years, longer maybe, and I'm still not sure of exactly the giftings of God are. But I know this, they operate in power and they operate with exploits in the kingdom when there's a demand put on them. 
It's just the funnest thing to experience that. It's like, oh, I'm living my everyday life, you know. I'm trying to stay uh, happy, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm trying to keep my wife happy. She does a good job of that on her own, but I come along and ruin it. <laughs> yeah, and our, our dog, trying to keep our dog happy. We should all be more like our dogs. We just live in the moment. My dog's not worried about the fact that I'm going to feed him. He just gets his meal two times a day. Two times a day. Don't get me on any kind of goat trails here, rabbit trails, okay, Sid? You know, Pastor Vic's been ministering for the past couple of weeks on truth. Uh, what's your truth? You know, what's truth to you? Uh, and I thought he's been on an excellent subject of doing that and an excellent job of bringing that clear that so much of today is, well, uh, you know, this is my truth. And um, then he talked about barriers to blessings. And you can look at that two ways. And I had to think about it this week. Was that barriers that are keeping the blessings from me? Or is that barriers that cause me to go to blessing? And I chose the latter. Barriers to blessing. But anyway, he's been on an excellent um, topic. And I thought I would continue with it just a little bit this morning. Um, in John chapter 18, verse 38, Pontius Pilate is speaking and he's had an encounter with Jesus now. And he's had an encounter with the religion of the day, the Jews, asking him to do something that goes against their very law. I mean, it goes against every belief they have to take an innocent man and have judgment fall upon him, the judgment of death. This went against their religious belief. But suddenly to them, it seemed like an acceptable truth. Suddenly to them, it was like we would rather have Barabbas, a thief, released than Jesus. And Pilate made an interesting statement. He said, at one point in time, he said, what is truth? Now, I don't think Pilate was saying that personally, from seeking an answer. I don't think Pilate was saying, what is truth? I'm hungry for truth. I personally don't think that. I think Pilate was more being uh, facetious and, and uh, jaded by the day that he lived in, where everybody had their own truth. And he's like, yeah, what is truth? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us this. Uh, since there is a spirit of truth, it goes to say that there's a spirit of error. Yeah. Let me turn to that. Is it up there? Okay, we'll just read that. We're from God. He who knows God listens to us. 
He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the truth. I want to know what truth is today. What's true? People say, well, I, I believe this. Where'd you get that from? Well, I saw it on the internet. So it's got to be true. Seemed pretty authoritative. Seemed pretty factual. Uh, Nancy and I were recently in Texas. We spent 10 days in an Airbnb, isolated. And I started listening to a podcast. It was an interesting podcast. It was a, a Texas podcast by uh, a fellow who used to be a senator in Texas. At one time, he was a chancellor at uh, Texas Tech University. Then he became a state senator and then a U.S. senator, worked with Reagan, Carter, so on and so forth, older gentleman. Just really enjoy his podcast. And he has these little one-minute sayings, and then he has these interviews of people and so on and so forth. One of his uh, shorter ones was he was talking about when he was a senator, they were getting ready to pass a bill, and this one senator brought the bill, this bill up. He says, well, I, I've got this bill I want to pass that I've written up about this situation, and somebody asked him, well, where'd you get that information? He said, well, I got it off the internet. And uh, no. He got it from a person on the plane that he was flying on, and this person gave him this information, and uh, then he got, went to the internet and checked on it and decided they should maybe try to pass this bill according to this. And he said, you know, the, the interesting thing was, is uh, have you checked that out to see if it's true, to see if it's factual before you just decide to run it as a bill and have us pass it? And his summation of this is, it's a lot like this water. He didn't do this. This is me. I'll get to that. But he, his summation is, the closer you are to the source of the information, the better your decisions about life will be. So the closer you are to the source, the closer you are to Jesus in your personal relations, personal relationship and time spent, uh, the source, the closer you are to that source, the better decisions about life you'll make. And this water, it's 100% mountain spring water. From uh, Lake Arrowhead in California. I've, I've been there, been there before, swam in that lake when I was younger. I really wouldn't want to drink the water from that lake. But it's a long ways from the source. But I look at it and I go, well, it's pretty clear. It's uh, 
kind of got a stamp of approval on it. It says for me to avoid this little lid that I don't suck it down and choke on it. It's got a good, good details, but I really could not tell you the true source of this. I can only tell you the name of it, Arrowhead Mountain Spring Water. Yeah, came out of a faucet. So when you want to make good decisions in life and you want to know, get as close to the uh, source of, the inform- of that as you can get. So I want to talk about a key to receiving truth. I believe it's one of the, the keys to receiving truth in your life and allowing truth to change you. That's the purpose of truth. The purpose of truth is to conform you into the image of Jesus himself, to become more like Jesus, right? A key to receiving truth, I'm going to say this morning, is meditation. How do we meditate? Today, there's numerous forms of religious meditation. And it'd be easy for Christians to overlook the tremendous value of true meditation. You know, I made some attempts at meditating at, before I became a Christian. Um, I spent a lot of time on the beach and uh, surfing, and we had this one surf guru. He was sort of the head surf self-appointed surf guru that was always there, and we actually, I hope he's not listening, uh, mocked and made fun of him afterwards, <laughs> you know, but he would tell us deep truths, like God is the ocean, and our surfboards are the mediator between God and man. Now, see, I wasn't a Christian. I don't know where he got these concepts, but they sounded pretty cool. You know, I was like, okay. But one day I was out there, and I was on Zuma Beach, uh, and there was a lot of seaweed that had come up. And I'm just sitting there, and it just kept wrapping around my legs. And I came to this understanding. You know, I'm out there trying to empty my mind and open my soul to this ocean god. And, uh, and the seaweed kept interrupting me, interfering with my meditation. And I came to the realization, this isn't God. This is just a bunch of seaweed out here. I don't know where God is. I remember that very clearly. I don't know where God is, but it's not here, and this guy's an idiot. I remember distinctly thinking, and this guy's an idiot. But there's numerous forms of religious meditation, and I think, it, as I said, it'd be easy for Christians to overlook the tremendous value that meditation can bring to you about God's Word. It's important to understand the biblical concept of meditation, 
um, since it clearly affects our ability to study and to know and to act on God's word. See, it's one thing to know God's word and study it, but it's so important to act on God's word. If you don't act on it in your life, it has very little value to you. Anybody who has studied hard to get a degree understands the purpose of the degree is to act on it once you get that degree and see it produce a prosperity in your life, to see that it brings you success in your life. You worked hard to get that degree, and the purpose of that was so that it could bring benefit to you and to your life and for why you paid that cost. It's the same thing with the Word of God. As you meditate upon the Word of God and you study to show yourself approved and you give yourself wholeheartedly for the understanding, Holy Spirit, when you approach the Word of God, Holy Spirit, bring me understanding. Open up my heart to understand your Word so that I can tell others how good I am, how smart I am, how elevated I am. No, so that I can learn to be a servant. It's hard to be a servant. Didn't we sing that today? Better to be uh, one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. In my years of ministry, I've met numerous Christians who've experienced very little victory in their life. Yeah, they, they try. I've been there. Try. I want to live a good life. And I just keep messing up and doing the same old thing, the same old pattern over and over. Constantly struggling to be happy and fulfilled and always falling short of achieving that goal. And then if you ask that Christian, if you ask myself or any Christian, do you believe the Word of God? Well, of course. Of course I do. I respect and value God's Word. The Bible's the greatest book ever. But a close look at our lives and many of our lives would show that God's word has done little for them in comparison to what it could do. God's word can change dramatically every aspect of your life. So how do we take advantage of God's word for our lives? I think a frequently overlooked principle is to meditate upon his word. I, I, I tell you, it's an exercise I have to give myself to because it's so often I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit behind, so I got to catch up on my reading. So I catch up on my reading. And... Uh, you know, that's, that's good. 
I've learned this. I like to read a proverb a day because there's 31 proverbs. Sometimes you've got to read two proverbs in one day to make up for that. And in February, you've got to read a couple more. But uh, you've got a proverb for every day. And I've learned this. If I fall behind, I don't try to make it up. I just start where I'm at. Today's the 8th. I'm going to read Proverbs 8. Today's the 9th. I'll read Proverbs 9. And uh, take some time to assimilate it. Take some time to meditate upon it. Take some time to let it, uh, to ruminate upon it and and to let it change me. So let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Now Moses has turned the job over to Joshua. Joshua is taking over for Moses. And to me, this is a tremendously powerful scripture. The word to Joshua was this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. When? At your morning cup of coffee for 10 minutes and then move on? <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I mean, I'll, I'll take that minute, little bit of time in the morning, then I got to move on. I got things I got to do. But I can carry that with me. I can keep that one thing that God's wanting to speak to me, that scripture, and I can just let it be there. Just let it reside in the back of my thinking, in the back of my mind. It says, he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on him. So he says this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Joshua went on to do mighty things. Joshua was a pretty powerful dude. He accomplished a lot, and he took these people that wandered around for 40 years, and he took them on into the promise. How did he take them on into the promise? He did these things that God spoke to him to do. Meditate upon my law day and night. It wasn't through his own strength. It wasn't through his gifts. It wasn't through him being a mighty warrior that caused the walls of Jericho to come down. It was that he did the thing that God said to him. God says, if you will meditate on my word day and night, then you will have, your life will be prosperous and you will have success. I love that. I think of these sports figures. Michael Jordan. How many remember Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan said of the baskets that he made, I can't remember how many it was, 400? 400 baskets? That he probably meditated on it and saw it and pictured it in his mind at least a thousand times for each basket. He pictured it. He saw himself making that basket. Now, I think we should do that in our lives as well. We need to have a goal. We need to have that goal set. We need to think about that goal and, and picture it and, and develop a faith picture. 
of who you are, a faith picture of who your brother and sister is, a faith picture of who your spouse is, and a faith picture of who your children are. God had faith pictures of people in the Bible. One of the most relevant ones for us to use as an example is... uh, um, good old what's his name? Never forget him. <laughs> Gideon. Thank you very much. And he had a faith picture of Gideon, and he put that faith picture that he had in Gideon's mind. See, it wasn't until Gideon got a hold of it himself and saw it for himself that it actually caused change, cause and effect. So Joshua would be able to know and to do all that is written in the law and he would prosper and succeed because he had learned to meditate upon God's word. Meditating on God's word is a key to experiencing these things and performing the ability to perform any task God has given to you. How many of you know God's given you a task? Amen. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you have kids? God's given you a task. How many of you are married? God's given you a task. How many of you go to church? And God's saying, I want you to love those people in church. God's given you a task. God, uh, meditating on God's word prepares us to act out and experience the truths and concepts we're meditating upon. I believe it's an important step in converting knowledge to experience. So what is biblical meditation? There's a lot of attempts at meditation these days. Let's empty our minds. Just empty yourself of all negativity. No, it's not to empty your mind. It's to fill it. It's to fill it with God's word. And God's word will bring that complete renewal of your mind. Years ago when we lived... In our commune, we had a communal work. There was a, a man that had a, the dairy farm all around here, and he hired a bunch of us young guys to come out and bale hay. And uh, we're out there baling hay, and I'll never forget this guy. He says to us, he says, I, I just don't understand you guys. You know, I think you're all just brainwashed. We were having a lunch break. He says, I, I think you're all just brainwashed. And one of the brothers that was there working said, you ever been in a gym in the men's room? The guy goes, well, yeah. He goes, you know how that smells? All those socks? They need a good washing. <laughs> he says, I'll never forget. He says, they need a good washing. That's how our brains are. They need a good washing. I'll never forget this man. He goes, well, lunch is over. Let's get back to work. (laughs) 
just to let you a little insight into that, later on, he's the individual that led us to this piece of property to build this building. So God was at work those years preceding this happening. So true meditation is not an effort to empty the mind of all thoughts or focus on some uh, saying, some little script. But biblical meditation is to fill your mind with this word and then to spend time on that word. Holy Spirit, what does this, what, what do you want to speak to me about this? Men will fight over each level of doctrine, argue about every jot and tittle of doctrine, split hairs. To such an infinite degree over little bits of doctrine. But will they take that scripture and say, I'm going to spend today on that. This is going to be my focus today. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit. The world will be changed much more by a group of people that take that word of God and meditate upon it, like Joshua did, than they will by a thousand theologians, 10,000 theologians. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against theologians. I have a good friend, I played racquetball with him, he pastored a church here in the valley for many years, and we became good friends. And he went to one of the best theological seminaries in the nation. You know what he told me? It only took him nine years to recover and get saved. In Psalm chapter 1, the first first psalm, I can read that. Everybody with me so far? Anybody that's getting sleepy, just get up and stretch. It's okay. Yeah, thanks. We uh, had an assistant pastor here at the time, and it was a hot day. Sun was shining through, and it was really nice. And he had kids, young kids, and you could tell after this statement that he'd been watching Sesame Street. But everybody's, and and our church had burnt down. For those that don't know the history of our church, we built this building. It was twice the size that it is at the moment. Um, But we built this building, and we had one service in it, burnt to the ground. About this time of year. Actually, it was on Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Made the newspaper. Actually, Richard Stoffel's statement made the newspaper. (laughs) Rich, they go to interview. Of course, they get the most radical guy in our midst. (laughs) Said something about 
I still have the article up there somewhere. It said something about, yeah, the devil burned it down, but he doesn't know what's in, for, what, what's in it for him because we're going to build it back greater, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Where was I going with that, our church burning down? Oh, yeah. So we had to use another church's building. Thank you very much. Somebody's listening. Uh, uh, and uh, we had to meet in the afternoons in this other building. And, uh, and uh, you could kind of get tired, you know. And, and it's, he's, he's a soft talker. He's talk. And pretty soon everybody's like that. And he just goes, that's right. That's good. Just close your eyes. Everybody just sleep now. And of course, everybody goes, huh? What? <laughs> I thought that was the best approach I've ever heard. <laughs> Psalm 1, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. And then what happens to them? What happens to you when you do that? You become like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season. And that's so important for you to recognize. God has a season for you to yield fruit. There are dry seasons. There are winter seasons. There are difficult seasons. But there's fruitful seasons. And their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. Psalm 119. I'm going to close up here pretty quick. Psalm 119, verse 97. It's probably up there, right? Yeah, Technology so fast. And I refuse to conform. In verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. And then in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 says this. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. You must act on the word that's been placed in your spirit. If you do not activate it, if you do not step out into it, if you do not um, make that first step, if you're waiting, if you're waiting until you reach a certain level of spiritual enlightenment, you're in the wrong religion. God is not wanting you to wait until you reach nirvana. 
or maturity to this level. He wants you to step into what he's given you at where you're at now. You're like, well, I can't, I can't give a Bible study. Sure you can. Yeah, absolutely you can. You go, well, I don't really know the word. Well, open the Bible, play a little Bible roulette, and read that word, and then say something about it. And you've just done a Bible study. You may be way off base. But you know what? God will be blessed in that, and the word of God will never return void for the purpose it was sent to do. Uh, so you must act on the word that's been placed in your spirit. It does you no good to join the gym, get a membership, and never show up and use the equipment. Right. Or do we have any Peloton people? Does no good to be a Peloton person and not get on that bike or treadmill and do it. You got to activate it. You got to step into it. Don't wait until you're, you you don't want to start exercising your muscles, you know, going in your mind, well, when I'm ready to be seen on the front of Weightlifter magazine, then. No, those guys started a long time ago. I wasn't sure which way God wanted me to go this morning. I was really feeling the word activate, activate, activate. Because everybody in this room, there's not one person in this room that God has left out of something that you have to benefit and to bless and encourage somebody else in the body of Christ, in your church family. When you all come together, one has a psalm, a hymn, a teaching, a, uh, you know, a, whatever, gifts of healing, gifts of, you know, just good stuff. Everybody comes with it. And so often, and, and I understand that's how it works because you get a big group of people, but we're not that big of a group of people, and that's what I like about it. We can still have a little bit of both worlds. And, uh, you know, when you come together, come prepared. God may speak to you and say, this week, he'll put somebody in your mind, and he'll say, I want you to pray for that person week. 80% of the time, that person won't be there. But you acted on it. That's what's important. But I do want to do that as we're closing. Do you want to come up and we'll just have some music in the background? Or do you have some prepared canned music, whatever? Um, if you came today and you, and you need prayer, you, you want prayer, you, you're suffering with either something, you know, going on in your life that's causing your life to be difficult. I just want you to just raise your hand, and I want the people around you to gather around you and just pray for that person. Can we do that? Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.